Hey there, I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to Album Addicts, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. For this episode, Ray chose the record we're going to discuss, and he picked Rod Stewart's 1971 album, Every Picture Tells a Story. So Ray, tell us your Rod Stewart story. How did you discover him and this album in particular? I think it was... If I've got the timeline right, either 1978 or 79, I remember hearing, I think that was when uh, If You Want My Body came out. And do you think I'm sexy? Yeah, yeah, do you think I'm... And at the time, I thought it was a chick. For all I knew, it was <laughs> B. Arthur from the Golden Girls singing. <laughs> She's got that weird Dorothy Spornak kind of a thing going. Then I think later on, I found out that it was, it was a dude, and I, I saw him on Solid Gold, and I was like, wait a second, that's not B. Arthur? <laughs> and... Uh, but no, his vocals, I, I, I got into like Once I, it was like, it's, it's kind of a weird androgynous, but still masculine, but that weird kind of femi stuff going on. And it's like whiskey soaked at the same oh, time. Yeah. So no, nobody sounds like Rod Stewart. Nobody will ever sound like Rod Stewart. Right. And that's how I discovered it. And then my dad had this on vinyl too. And I was okay. like, this, this album in particular. So Excellent. Rod Stewart, Rod the Mod. It's easy for me to talk about Rod and this album as this record was one of the ones my mother played around the house when I was a kid in regular rotation. She had this one and the follow-up, Never a Dull Moment, but this was the one she played the most, so I heard this all the time, beginning as a very young child. It feels like this music has been a part of me as far back as I can remember, so when you said you wanted to review this album, I was like, hell yeah, man! Nice. And that's my short and sweet story with this album. There's not much else to tell. All right, it's time to lay on you some basic facts about this record, and I use Wikipedia for all of my dubious fact-finding needs. Every Picture Tells a Story is the third studio album by British singer-songwriter Rod Stewart, released in May 1971 on the Mercury label. It was produced by Rod Stewart and was recorded in January 1971 at Morgan Studios, London, England. It reached number one on both the UK Albums Chart and the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified platinum by the RIAA. Okay, now I'm going to give you the lineup card of musicians on this album. We've got Rod Stewart on lead vocals and acoustic guitar, Ronnie Wood on guitar, pedal steel guitar, and bass guitar, Sam Mitchell on slide guitar, Martin Quintenton on acoustic guitar, Pete Sears on piano and Celeste, Mickey Waller on drums, Ian McLagan, organ and piano, Danny Thompson on upright bass, Andy Pyle on bass guitar, Dick Powell on violin, Long John Baldry on backing vocals, Maggie Bell on vocal abrasives, Madeline Bell and Friends vocal abrasives, Lindsay Raymond Jackson, Ray Jackson on mandolin, Kenny Jones on drums, and Ronnie Lane on bass guitar and backing vocals. Whew! Because it wasn't hit to be a dude named Lindsay until Lindsay Buckingham. <laughs> so you go with Ray. There you go. Here we go, Ray. Let's get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start things off with a title track, Every Picture Tells a Story, written by Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood. Come here anyway So I remember everything 
Ray, what do you think about this? Well, if I ever open up my own bakery and I do sell confection, confectionery kind of things, I'm going to have an every picture tells a story donut. Because now every time I hear that song, all I can hear is the picture of me handing out like a plate of donuts. Every picture tells a story donut. <laughs> now, this is a great rock song. It starts out, what I like about this is I think, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think they dropped the low E string on the guitar down to a D with like a drop D. Is tune. that why that sounds so weird? That's why it sounds so weird. And then he just like hits it with a pick. It's like, yeah. it's got like that weird kind of drone yes. effect. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people. I thought it was out of tune. Robbie Krieger, Robbie Krieger does that in, um, in the end. Both yeah. He tunes both his okay, D yeah. string, E strings down to a D. But yeah, I, I tried it on my own guitar. I'm pretty sure that's what he was and doing. And it works. There. Okay. Oh, yeah. But it's got like kind of a stonesy swagger to the whole song. So yeah. that, that's kind of a cool thing that's going on. I know that like uh, Rod himself was influenced by storyteller kind of folk singers, yes, and like Woody Guthrie kind of kind of guys. Sure. And this story is exactly like the whole story about you know youth and young manhood. And the Kings of Leon can sue me for that one. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's a cool story that goes along with it. Rod Wood's guitar solo—you can see why he fit into the Stones. Yeah. Listening to that. Oh like, yeah. It's kind of got that snappy kind of a tone. And sure. That's so that's pretty decent too. Um, and the backing vocals, they get abrasive vocals. Yeah. And I love Rod's voice, but I think the backing vocals are almost like the best part when they finally kind of rave yeah. up towards yeah, the yeah. end. Yeah, no, this is a killer track. Yeah. It's got that acoustic intro that sounds weird. I thought it was out of tune, but you mm-hmm. kind of explained that. Mm-hmm. I love the groove of this tune. The bass is all over the place. Oh, yeah. She playing does. a stellar counter melody, and the drums utilize an off-kilter beat. Acoustic guitars drive this tune and shows how Ronnie Wood was such a great partner for Rod. It's so easy to get pulled into the flow of this tune. I love the unconventional structure where it's four verses, a bridge, and then the chorus. Song title repeated, I think it's over 20 times (laughs) as it fades out. (laughs) It's loose and ramshackle and feels like it just fall apart at any moment, but that's kind of what makes it so cool. Young Rod brings plenty of energy to the performance, and his distinctive raspy vocals are unmistakable. Maggie Bell lends her own raspy vocals to the bridge and chorus. She was marketed as the British Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. and she has the vibe down, but she never quite took off, especially in the States. Hmm. Okay, the lyrics. In general, they're fantastic, describing a young man encouraged by his father to travel the world in search of fun and adventure and not get tied down to a gold-digging woman. <laughs> he goes to Paris and Rome, has some misadventures there. He finally ends up in China, where he finds a woman he wants to be with. Now, the racial slur is in there. I mean, we can say, well, it was the early 70s, and they really weren't politically correct back then, but it's a tough one to swallow today. I can overlook it, but that probably shows my age, too. I don't know. Oh, no, same here. Like, if Under My Thumb by The Stones, totally sexist yeah. song, but great song. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah. <laughs> So you just it doesn't yeah. the fact that the slur is in there does not diminish my enjoyment of this tune oh, whatsoever. No. Same, same. I mean, I fucking love this song. Yeah. This was the second single that was apparently only released in Spain. Really? Go figure. All right, so all our Spanish listeners, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess Long John Baldry, from what I understand, because I've heard, seen his name come up, he does back yes, and forth. He does. I think right. he was kind of like an Alexis Corner kind of guy, like yeah. one of the, in the British blues scenes, or like yeah. people either played with him or they played with. He's him. one of those well-known guys in the British blues scene. He knew everybody. He had connect. He was connected to all the British, including like. Led Zeppelin and, and yeah, he, that's he, what I've seen connection, connection yeah. with them too. So yeah, him having him on here also adds to it too because he comes in later on too. You first hear Maggie Bell's voice, yeah. then you hear the yeah, lower voice. Yeah. yeah, well, Rod got his, some of his early start playing in Baldry's band. Right, too. He had a couple yes. bands together. Yep. So I'm cool that that's cool that he brought him in. Yeah, did him a solid. The next track is "Seems Like a Long Time," written by Theodore Anderson. 
this one can i just say holy fucking bass batman yeah i mean it's cool it's like busy and all over the place but at, at the same time it's still in the pocket with and the this drums. is ronnie wood right well, I, it's either him or andy pile yeah thinking. i don't know the other guy who gets bass credit is the guy who plays the upright bass but i don't hear upright bass on this no in fact there's a little bit where i almost hear like a snap like a snap and pop kind of yeah. thing yeah. Um, but it's it's you know it's not you know the guy from sign of the family stone but it's great bass playing and the song itself it's got kind of a an R and B like as sixties R and B and almost like a gospel kind of a feel too. So like you can tell where it's come from. Like Rod Stewart, I think like a lot of British musicians got the United States and soaked it up and sure in the song. Yep, uh, it starts with that lilting piano intro and then it goes into this blue eyed soul tune. Yeah, with that's some excellent it. bass again. Mm-hmm. The music lopes along with the piano. It's a constant presence, and there's some electric guitar in there, too, to rock it up just a bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Rod's vocals are sensitive, and he captures the somber mood, and he's backed on the choruses by Madeline Bell, an American soul singer who became popular in the U.K. in the 60s. I mean, her presence gives the track an authenticity it may have lacked. Yeah, okay, that can that could be way to put it, yeah. You know, that R&B soul stuff that we've been talking about? Yep. The lyrics are about wanting something good or positive to rise from a bad situation and it feels like a long time for that to happen whether it's you know daytime from the night good times from hard times and peace from war all those things are mentioned but just like the first track the vibe is loose and i'm digging the production overall too it sounds great i'm glad you said that too because that's something i want to mention about this i I didn't realize until you told me that this is a self-produced album i think that's kind of when this started like you got more singer songwriters doing their own self-production right or even like bands themselves doing like kansas and stuff like that yeah and i uh, I think i read somewhere recently where rod said that i think they banged this out in like two weeks this album that's insane yeah because i actually i love the production on this album me too and maybe because because it's they didn't try to go overboard. They right. didn't try to like go to areas that they didn't understand. They, yeah, spending to, four days trying to get the kick drum to sound right. Yeah, like he wasn't trying today. to be Phil Spector. No. He was just taking what he had and making use of it. And I miss that shit, man. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Big time. I really dig this track. Yep. So let's move on now to That's All Right, written by Arthur Big Boy Crudup. your thoughts well i think a lot of people like with any kind of basic knowledge of like all of those presley knows that elvis kind of made this song famous supposedly yes. i heard that he'd even learned the songs directly from arthur crudup i don't know if there's any like verification of that or some people have even said that he stole it i don't know i'm sure crudup got his credit but i gotta say sam mitchell gets the mvp for me on this and i'm a big slide guitar fan yeah now you can the funny thing about slide is when you're playing for those who don't play slide guitar is you can do it super sloppy 
to the, you know, um, to almost like a, almost a Charlie Patton-esque kind of thing where you're just like making random noise, although I'm not accusing Charlie Patton of making random noise. <laughs> Charlie Patton. How dare you? <laughs> I know, like that guy was a monster. Um, great musician. Sam Mitchell's got a real tasty slide player. Yeah. This is just a great song. It's got a great rock and roll feel to it. And I also the piano playing, uh, Ian, is it McClagan? Is that how you say his name? McClagan, I think. Yeah. McClagan, I think. It's, he's got like that great, great roadhouse kind of boogie kind of piano going on yes. in the background. And so this is a definite keeper. Yeah. Arthur Big Boy Crudup wrote and originally performed this in a Chicago blues style. I went back and listened to it. Sounds great. Oh, right on. And Elvis Presley recorded the famous version of this, like mm-hmm. you said. And the Elvis version sounds uncannily like a Johnny Cash song. Oh, yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah. yeah. He, he turns it into like that feel, that groove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like what he does with it. Rod turns it into a rock number. It sounds a lot like the Rolling Stones, or better yet, the Faces, of which he was the lead singer for at the time. Yep. But the guitar's coming hard, and the piano rocks out, and the bass mm-hmm. is still kicking ass, dancing all over the rhythm. Yep. Rod belts out the lyrics in a bluesy, rocked-out manner. The lyrics are primitive, old-school blues, and Rod tells the woman, that's all right, Mama, however you want to do. Yep. His parents tell him she's no good for him, and then he finally decides to leave her behind and leave town. That is Blues 101, folks. <laughs> At the end, there's some more sweet slide guitar, and Rod sings the first stanza of Amazing Grace. Now, I'm not sure what it's doing here, but it sounds really pretty. Oh, yeah. Some more of that slide guitar. Yeah. Some track listings have it separated from this, but Mm -hmm. the way I have it in my iTunes and the way I've seen it, it's all kind of meshed. Like, Amazing Grace is sort of, like, tacked on as the end of this. Yeah. So that's how I'm reviewing it. Okay, yeah. I I couldn't tell, really, honestly, if it was part of the, the next track or what, so I just... Kind of had some notes on there in the middle, but yeah, no, the, yeah. that part's too cool too. And it like, I think one of the other things too about playing slide guitar that's kind of cool and fun, or just to listen to even, is it's always there's always that background noise, that like shake of the slide across the strings on yes. top of the actual tone you're hearing. And for me, in this, not only does Rod Stewart do a great job singing "Amazing Grace," it's like a rattlesnake kind of effect. Yeah, like, it makes me always think like old western movies, something yeah. like that. So that was kind of a cool part. It of the is song. really cool. Yeah. Now I have to say this. I love this song. I dig it. But it resonates the least with me, and I've got to pick one off this fucking record, so this is going to be... Aaron's Stinky Stinker. But it's not. I dig this track, people. (laughs) I do. Continuing on, we come to Tomorrow is a Long Time, written by Bob Dylan. If tomorrow wasn't such a long time Then lonesome would mean nothing to you at all Ah, but only if my own true love is waiting Yes, and if I could hear a heart a softly pounding Only if she were lying by me Would I rest in my bed once again Ray, what about this? This is cool too. It's got that. I like the in the intro. They got the violin and the guitar together, and mm-hmm. the, the way they're both doing the uh, kind of doing the, the melody to, uh, along the same way. So like the guitar is like kind of underneath the violin, right? Kind of comes me and but doubles it up nicely. Um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but uh, does Ron Wood play in the pedal steel? I know he plays. I, I believe he does. That's how I. That's what Weeki says. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I'm digging that, and it kind of reminds me of. Um, Jimmy Page on um, "That's the Way." Yeah, like some of the like the little fills that he does kind of reminds me of Jimmy Page. So like having that kind of familiarity kind of made it kind of yeah. cool. To, and he's well, all them guys came from the same school. They all yeah. slept together, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just kind of one big long conga line. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cool. I was thinking about this as I was listening to this album, and this song particularly kind of brings it out for me. 
I know that Wood also played with uh, Rod Stewart in the Jeff Beck band. Yes. Which is, must have been interesting because I think Woody is kind of like an all-around, almost like a John Paul Jones kind of He's, he's a, do, a utility guy. He's a utility guy. He yeah. did this, that, and the other. Because he played bass in the Jeff Beck group. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I wondered how the juxtaposition of him and Jeff Beck, who's just like all over the place, yeah. kind of experimental, how that worked out. And it doesn't sound like it... And I think it lasted for Truth and Beckola. Yeah, only two it. albums. Yeah, they're so. both awesome. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Yeah. But I can see how that there could be kind of be like a, a clash between both types yeah. of musicians. Well, I guess Beck is kind of famously hard to work with too. Oh yeah, yo, when, so. he was, when he was in the Yardbirds, like his final gig with him, I guess supposedly he was about ready to decapitate Heath yeah. Rowe with his guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so no, this is a good song, and I know you're a huge Dylan fan. Yes. So what was your take on him doing this? Well. This track's got an old-school country music vibe to my ears, and with oh, the yeah. violin and the pedal steel guitar. Yeah, without a doubt. There's more acoustic guitars carrying the bulk of the load here. It comes across as a country folk tune to my ears. Now, this was written and recorded by Bob Dylan, but it had been hanging around unreleased for the longest time until he put it out on Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume 2. He just oh. stuck this track in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, wow. I think Rod's version stacks up to the Dylan version. I mean, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Bob Dylan maniac. I mean, we're gonna, eventually we're going to cover him, too. But Rod acquits himself really well with this. Nice. The lyrics to me are about a guy missing his one true love, and he's away from her. He like he kind of left her. And he's wishing to be back with her. Mm-hmm. It's another different style, but it kind of falls under the roots rock umbrella. It fits in oh, the, yeah. th- the way this album sounds perfectly. Rod's vocals are a bit subdued, though, and you can feel his longing and possible regret. It's another good, solid track. I dig, man. Yeah, it's funny because like I, I talked about this before, and I will say this with Rod Stewart. He's one of those singers who can sell you the lyrics. Yes. He can sell you, you're going to believe what he's actually saying. Yeah. So he can cover Tom Waits. He can cover yeah. Bob Dylan. and do it His voice right. is really cool because he can belt out a hard rocking number. And oh, then yeah. that whiskey voice that we've been talking about mm-hmm. can be so sensitive and he can get a gentle lyric across so well. He's oh, just, yeah. just a brilliant, brilliant singer. Big time. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Maggie May, written by Rod Stewart. How about this one? Well, it's kind of funny because I was looking, I looked, for, I went on Wiki just for like this song to see like what they could give me like a yeah. background about because there's so much going on. And that little acoustic, classical style intro, yes. that was Mar- Martin Quintenton, yes. I think his name is. And yep. there was a piece called Henry. Yeah. And uh, I thought I thought it was Ron Wood, and at that point I was like, "Dude, Ron Wood can do everything." <laughs> well, he can, but in this case, it was it was it wasn't him. It was yeah, there's also some track listings where that's a separate track too. But as yeah. far as to me, it's always been the intro to Maggie May. Yeah, and it's cool. It's yeah. cool. There, there's, it doesn't. It's not, it's not a takeaway from the song. Yeah. Supposedly, it's a true story. I guess about uh, Rod's first time, although he didn't give her. It wasn't Maggie May. I guess that's the, he took that from like a, li- a song in Liverpool about yeah. a hooker yeah. named Maggie May. And yeah, an like, older like yeah. folk tune, I think. Yeah, but this is cool. And Ron Wood's solo is cool because it's it's most it's most, weird. It's weird. Most guys doing guitar solos, I think up to that point, were doing like the trebly B and E string kind of yeah. Chuck Berry type of stuff, or like doing blues licks. But no, he's down with like the, the D and A and E strings. Like yeah. doing kind of like a bassy thing. It's low. It's low. Yeah. I mean he 
he comes back to it after a return, but he does a little bit more in the treble strings. Yeah. Strings, but that solo makes the song, and definitely the um uh, the mandolin work by Lindsey Ray yep. <laughs> Jackson. Yeah. Uh, you if you didn't Ray have Jackson. that in this song, yeah. Yeah. If, if you didn't have that in this song, it would be uh you no, know, it would be a bummer. It would, it, I'm sure it would still be a fine song, but yeah. I mean, it's that kind of the icing on the cake. You got those great Ian organ swirls underneath yeah. there too, which kind of throw it all together. Yes. I think that's that weird. I think that weird, like almost like electric. It might, might be the Celeste. Yes, thing. it is. Yeah, yep. I mean yep. you can find that it. Tinkly. Yeah, kinda, yeah, yes. yeah. Yep. It's cool. It's like all the varying little bits of this gumbo that make up this song. Yeah. Are just uh, phenomenal. So yep. it's always going to be like one of my favorite rods. Oh, I love the unholy frig out of this song, dude. Shit, yeah. It's got that lively, bouncy rhythm. Again, it feels like the musicians are barely hanging on. It's so loose, and that's what I love so much about this album. Uh, Ian McLagan from the Small Faces and the Faces plays some sweet organ, glides underneath the track. The bass of the song though stays the acoustic guitar, and Ronnie Wood adds some electric leads that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Rod Stewart owns this song, though. Oh, yeah. And his vocals communicate perfectly the brilliant lyrics, which describe a young man who's debating ending a relationship with an older woman, but he's having a hard time. He knows that the relationship is wrong, it's not going to work out, but his feelings for her are too strong. It's got one of the greatest opening lines, Wake up, Maggie, I think I got something to say to you. That's incredible. Oh, yeah, big time. It's a fantastic vocal performance, and he totally sells it. The main link comes towards the end that, to me, just drives home that the narrator has regrets and he knows he's got to move on. It's a nice instrumental touch for the fade-out. This song was recorded in two takes with a drum kit that had no cymbals and the cymbals had to be overdubbed later. That's phenomenal. (laughs) This track was released as the B-side to the first single, Reason to Believe, but radio stations began playing Maggie May instead of the A-side and just caught on like wildfire and then eventually went to number one, the B-side. Maggie May goes to number one in both the U.S. and U.K., This is Rod's signature song, right? It's his oh, first yeah. major hit. And though yeah. I've heard this song 19 million times, I never get tired of it. Oh, never. same, same. And this is one where they have Danny... I think this is the only track I think Danny Waller plays drums yes. on, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. It's funny you mentioned the drums. Yeah, another simple... These guys were not trying to be yes. Yes. Which is cool. <laughs> yeah. No. No, correct. <laughs> yes, no. No, yes. <laughs> so, and there was, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all. Yep. So. Next up is Mandolin Wind. Written by Rod Stewart. I thought you'd leave Cause I knew how much you loved the sun But you chose to stay, stay and keep me warm Through the darkest nights I've ever known If the mandolin wind couldn't change a thing then I know I love you. All right, Ray, lay it on me. Another simple, yeah. So there's a guy, a guy in my garden unit, he said, simple plus effective equals awesome. And yeah. I'm going to say that with this song. I like that. Yeah. Uh, the verse section is just kind of uh, like in music chord, like any type of thing, does chord progressions. And this it's a, what we would call a 1-4 chord progression. That'd be like if you're doing solfege, it would be like a chord starting with do and a chord starting with fa. For yeah. those of those who aren't in the know. Yeah. And then by the time it gets... A lot of folk tunes. Oh, I yeah, like no, that. definitely. You can yeah. do, like, songs based in G. Like, you can just do G and C and G and C. And then occasionally you go to the D when you right. want some transition. You want to something wild. Yeah, there, yeah. you want to be really <laughs> live on the edge, right, for, for your uh, cadence. And then by the time it gets out and the mandolin wind can change, yeah. that's, that goes from the, that's when they go to the five chord, back down to the four chord, and back down to the one. And that's also, like, this weird kind of plagal cadence kind of for one thing you hear a lot in church music. 
Um, but there's, once again, great pedal steel guitar mm -hmm. work on this. And Lindsey Ray Jackson. Yeah. Ray Jackson getting the MVP on the, mandol the mandolin work on here. Is oh, just yeah. Really catchy as all hell. Yep. Rod's knocking it out of the fucking park, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, this first comes across as a folk tune with the acoustic guitars and pedal steel guitar creating this, like, melancholy atmosphere while Rod sings about his love for a woman who chose to stay with him through the coldest winter in almost 14 years <laughs> on the American frontier and how he admires her for sticking with him even though she hates the cold. <laughs> when the actual mandolin part kicks in, you feel like it's that cold winter wind blowing in and it just ushers in the drums, adding to the dynamics. It's, it's a really dynamic song. Oh, yeah. And it gives it a more rock vibe when the drums kick in. And Rod professes his love for the woman as the more up-tempo beat takes the song out. It's not quite a ballad. It's not mm. quite a rocker. Yeah. It kind of straddles the line. It's a very unique song. It's very pretty and touching, and it's another one of Rod's well-known songs, and I'm fucking all about it. It's a bell rock. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> the penultimate track is I Know I'm Losing You, written by Norman Whitfield. Eddie Holland and Cornelius Grant. Ray, what do you think about this? Is that like the Holland of Holland Holland Dozier fame, possibly? I, want, I think so. That makes sense because this is a temptation song yes. originally. Yes. And and yeah, man, this guy knew his Motown and his R and B yeah. like something you wouldn't the Temptation believe. song is awesome. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Now I was trying to sit down listen to figure this out because I like the little walk up da 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 which is cool. I think the piano is doing a lot of it, but yes. it's either they're either playing like a C sharp minor seven chord, or they're—I think they're even doing that, or they're doing the Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze chords, which would be a C sharp seven sharp nine chord, okay. which is kind of gives that kind of more jazzier kind of more uh, R and B kind of feel, which is kind of a cool. My one of my favorite parts though is when the every drops out and then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the vocal acapella part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. it all starts awesome. up again. Awesome. Um, it's great piano work in this song. That, what I think of this with this is kind of like in any other song that he does. There's like a real sense of desperation, like not only in his vocals, but like in the way the song kind of builds in its intensity. Yeah, it does. And again, they get that drum breakdown, which definitely yeah. got asses shaking if they were playing Absolutely. this live. So no, this is, I think this is probably one of the, the more rockier songs of yeah. the album. It's the hardest rocking Hard, track oh, on the yeah. album, for sure. Yeah, and if I, you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's face this is the faces. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. This, this, is, this, is exactly. this track is the faces. It's not rock. Although contractually, it could not be the faces. <laughs> it, actually, it isn't. It's not the faces. It's not. <laughs> it's like the old uh, Austin Powers Godzilla <laughs> thing. Although it is not. <laughs> but yeah, this is the faces. The faces rock this sucker up, and it's got a good groove. They also extend this out with instrumental passages, including a lengthy but solid drum solo section by Kenny Jones, who ended up being in the Who uh, after Keith Moon died. He was the, Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Right on. Much to uh, Roger Daltrey's consternation. Oh. <laughs> Ian McKagan on the piano is a highlight on this one, too. He's all oh, over the place on yeah. this. That's great. That guy's a beast. They don't improve on the Temptations, in my opinion. I mean, and Rod doesn't have David Ruffin's feel for this material. Mm. 
but he gives it a go and it's not bad. His whiskey voice whoops and shouts and brings a little blue-eyed soul to it. It's, mm-hmm. The lyrics are about a desperate man who feels his lady's falling for someone else and he's losing her. Mm-hmm. It's still a, a tremendous track. I, I, all the things you touched on, I love. Everything from that little build-up to mm-hmm. you know the shifts in intensity and you know the faces were just a tremendous, tremendous band. Anybody out there who hasn't heard of or listened to the faces... The best way I can describe them is they're the Rolling Stones with Rod Stewart singing instead of Mick Jagger. That's I'm one of those people, sign. so I'm, yeah. I'm definitely checking this stuff out now because because uh, I love this track. Yeah, so definitely check out the faces and actually the small faces, who was the precursor to the faces, where there's no Rod Stewart and Ron Wood, but you've got uh, Steve Marriott in the band. They also sound great, so get on it, people. And that's one to grow on. This was the third single from the album. It reached number 24 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And that brings us to the final track, Find a Reason to Believe, written by Tim Harden. Ray, what about this last one? I think this is a beautiful song, man. Yeah. The way it's, the whole thing is set up, the piano and organ intro is really kind of nice. Dick Powell's violin work on here, knocking it out of the park. Um, they bring it, I think it does. It's like you'd, it gives that kind of that American folk kind of country thing. Oh, yeah. And I guess why well, not really uniquely American. Now, I'll talk about that in my final review. Mm-hmm. But and it's kind of funny because it's got like a deceptive ending. You think everything is just kind it's of... false ending. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden it comes back in a cappella. And then slowly everybody kind of comes back, and they yes. don't call, they don't all charge in. All of a sudden it comes in, and the only thing that that this song is funny, and it's not bad. It's just weird. The way it fades out in the end yeah. is just kind of. Are we really done this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a kind of an odd way to yeah. go out. But you yeah. know, if this was Rod's very first self production, you yeah. know. I'm not going to mark him. He's not getting gigged for that. <laughs> You're not going to dock him. Not going to dock him. So it's a weird ending, but no, this is a great song. Yeah. Tim Harden was an American folk singer who wrote and first performed this, and his version is very folky, acoustic guitars with added Mellotron strings. A fuck ton of people recorded this. I mean, good for Tim Harden, right? Yeah, yeah, no. From Ricky Nelson to Johnny Cash to Ricky Lee Jones recorded this, but there's even more. There's a whole bunch of people. But I feel like it's most associated with Rod Stewart. Right. The piano and organ are very prominent in the mix, plus there's upright bass, which I love. Oh, I love upright bass. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah. And a real violin part, not Mellotron, <laughs> that adds to the atmosphere of the track. It's got a light folk rock groove, and it kind of breezes along. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are about a guy who knows his woman lies to him and deceives him, but he's kind of got the blinders up. He still listens to her. He wants to find something, anything, to make him believe <laughs> the relationship is worth continuing. Yeah. It's got that false ending. And then Rod returns to drive the point home before the track heads to its final fade out. Like we said, it's kind of odd. I dig this track. It's not my favorite, but it's mm-hmm. solid. Mm-hmm. I think I might prefer the version you did for MTV Unplugged, and I think they, they released that as a single, and I think it was a bigger hit. Oh, I gotta uh, hunt that down. Yeah. Holy crap. He dude. did that MTV Unplugged live in the CD, and Ron Wood joins him for a few tracks, oh, too. Oh, dude. And they do this song. They actually released this as a single. I used to hear this on the radio all the time, that live Unplugged version. It's very good. Oh, nice. Yeah. This was the first single from the album, surprisingly for me, at least in my mind. Right. But it didn't matter since the B-side was Maggie Mae, and that was the song that ended up being played. That was the hit. The rest is history. 
Now that the track by track is done, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is a big hunk of poopy. Mm-hmm. Ray, what are your final thoughts on Every Picture Tells a Story? I'm going to go and I'm going to give this a 5. Ooh, um, yeah. And I think I kind of touched a little bit throughout, a, a little bit on why, it, uh, just the production value. I, I value, I appreciate what he did producing it on his own yeah. with what he had. And he, he, like I said, he wasn't trying to fill Spectre with like layers of guitar stuff or layers of horn sections. He just took basic meat and potato stuff and made it work really effectively. And I'm going to kind of go out on a limb. I'm not going to say that this album was kind of like a foreshadowing the Americana roots music that started like in the 90s and stuff like that. Or even the other, the other guy that gets a lot of credit for that would be like Graham Parsons. Yeah, yeah. Like his work with the Flying Burrito Brothers sure. or his stuff with Emmylou Harris on his own before he died. But there's a lot of Americana in this album, and I figured out what it is. A lot of Appalachian music that informed country and western, like the fiddle reels and stuff like that, yeah. that comes out of the Scotch-Irish tradition, the Scotch-Irish settlers who came to this country. Uh-huh. And let's face it, the guy's in the UK, his father's Scottish. Yes. I mean, so I'm sure he was exposed to this stuff going on. It's in his DNA, and it's also just in, in his environment. I would almost say that Rod Stewart was kind of at the forefront of the Americana movement without being American. Not so bad. good for him. And uh, also, can, can I just say his vocals? Man, the, the vocals on, there's not a clinker on this album. There's not a point where you like listen to this album and you're just like, what the hell, is, why did Rod do that? And just every note is perfect. That's what gets five stars from me. If you dismiss Rod Stewart as the schlocky, cheesy, synth-pop guy of the 80s with a spiky haircut, <laughs> or the more recent American songbook crooner in the aughts, you're missing out on some tremendous music. From the mid-60s to the mid-70s, no one rocked harder than this guy, and his voice lends itself to the material really well. I urge you to check out the first two albums of the Jeff Beck Group, Anything by the Faces, and the first four albums of Rod's solo career. If you're like me and you dig 60s and 70s roots rock, you can hardly find better examples than those records I just named. Especially if you like the sound of Rod's voice. And I sure as fuck do. <laughs> I dig that raspy, scratchy, whiskey voice full of swagger and attitude. And Rod Golden was... Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and Golden Girl. Rod was so badass he maintained a solo career and being the lead singer of Faces simultaneously. He became known as Rod the Mod for adopting the look of the mod movement in London, paying attention to his grooming and wearing sharp clothes. His early records touch on hard rock, folk, blues, and R&B influences, and at his best, he was able to blend those influences seamlessly. Towards the end of the 70s and through the 80s, he started chasing pop trends, which kind of garnered him plenty of more hits, but it also some questionable artistic choices. <laughs> but throughout that period, he could still come up with a catchy tune, and his superstar status was solidified. And I have to admit, I really like Do You Think I'm Sexy. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Shoot cool. me. <laughs> hey, the man has sold over 100 million albums, and he played the largest free rock concert in history when he played in Rio de Janeiro in front of 3.5 million people. So he must have done something right. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. But for my money, every picture tells a story will always be the crown jewel in his solo catalog. It has some of his best-known hits, along with some superb album tracks, and is a consistent and rewarding listen. I give this album a 5-2, of course. Wow, this is the first time we both agreed on that. Yeah, I think it's our first co-five. Yeah. (laughs) It's a favorite of mine for sure, and on a personal note, it's hard for me to listen to this and not think of my mother. She played the shit out of this while little toddler Aaron was tearing around and destroying the house... And if she were alive today, I'd tell her thanks for introducing me to Rod Stewart. Nice, man. 
Let's appreciate the listeners, Ray. They really have been coming through lately for us. Yes, they have. Oh, yeah. If we could thank each one of you individually, we would. But we want you to know that we are thankful to each and every one of you. We also appreciate the feedback we receive, too. We love to get iTunes reviews. The more we get, the more we get noticed. And that makes us more visible to potential listeners. iTunes will bump us up in their rankings or however they do it. But the bottom line is we appreciate everyone who listens to the show. Our number of listens seem to be trending upward thanks to you guys. So keep listening, folks, and rock on. And remember, we're here because you're there. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also review the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way, and yes, we'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email, we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ray. See ya. Get to the chopper! still don't have a rump, man. I may not have one for this. This might be... I really don't have an ass either. (laughs) You don't have a rump, I don't have an ass. We're just two (laughs) anatomically anomalies. Anatomically incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) And we've both been married for over 10 periods, so the the coronary is gone too, so it's just one of those things. Pardon our ears, folks. We're both anatomically incorrect. (laughs) Shoot. I don't. We don't have. I don't have no iTunes reviews because uh, because we're recording so early. Like we yeah. haven't gotten the reviews in for Tesla yet. So we're, I just we're gonna have to make up some shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in disclaimer that Ray forced the issue because it's Labor Day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Ray. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Ray. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah.
second to the answer immediately. <laughs> of course, the most, the deepest philosophical line of Total Recall. I'm not me. <laughs> then who the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Arnold Schwarzenegger joined us, joined us on the podcast. I'm the governor of California. <laughs> governor. <laughs> Sacramento. Arnold, how do you feel about every picture tells a story? I love it. <laughs> I don't care. I love it. Get to the chopper. Listen to Ron Stewart and Ronnie Wood and Ronnie Lane and things of that nature. <laughs> Wake up, Maggie! I'm going to scare you! Wake up, you idiot! I don't care! Get to the chopper, Maggie! Other kids' lunches. <laughs> it's not a tumor. <laughs>